So as we gather as Good Shepherd at home and continue to do that, our next opportunity is these Lent bags we keep talking about. Some of you were able to get them before the great ice and snow of 2021. So that's awesome. So glad you would do that. Some of you told me you're coming to get them today when you can get out or tomorrow. That is fantastic. And we'll be trying to get them out somehow through our neighborhood shepherds as roads improve and that sort of thing the best that we can. Unfortunately, uh, the weather has an opportunity to derail all those things that we're trying to do. But each week, our devotional focus is wrapped around walk through the places of the passion. So it's not what the sermon's about or anything like that. And there's a, there's a guide in there and there's a devotional each day. And we're going to walk through the places of the Passion and um, all those things. And uh, places like Jerusalem and Bethany and Mount of Olives. Each week we'll be also be focused on those places and focused on an object. So there is an object in these bags for each one of the weeks. Some of which are in the burlap bag that's inside of there and some are outside that burlap bag and there's a litany that goes with them for each week so this week's object is the crown of thorns and i will leave it to you to try to figure out where in that is the crown of thorns and i think you'll be able to figure it out but that's your object for the week to put next to you put it somewhere and all of that then my lenten study is going to be on the places of the passion so we're going to go through the different places that are listed out through the passion of jesus and talk about them learn more about them and see the significance of those places as we go along this journey to follow jesus through the way of the via dolorosa the way of suffering and sorrow and be able to walk each one of those places with them. So I hope you'll join me for that starting on Wednesday night. And if I figure something else out, we may have some other time to do it. I might record it. I don't know what's going to happen yet. I'm just getting back on board. But I invite you to join with me for the next several weeks to do that. No obligation required to be part of my class after that. But if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I think you'll really enjoy this devotional and that opportunity to talk about it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And, and as the kids are, you're going to... Okay. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Gracious God, center us. Center us in these moments into your spaces and your places that you would have us to listen the most. Help us to understand this second of the seven good words that Christ cried out on the cross. Fill us the opportunity to hear why these were so important for you to say. Open our spirits. The power of the Holy Spirit. And everybody here and everybody at home said together, Amen. So I invite you, you version is back. So uh, you can be able to go to that. And along with the you version of looking at the scriptures and that sort of thing, I'm also going to start to add questions of things that you actually will want to answer yourselves besides the fill in the blank. So your one-stop shop for everything in the sermon is right there to be able to see. So I encourage you that, you know, there's a great opportunity with YouVersion to do a lot of different things. They have a story thing now, which I've really started to enjoy, where the daily verse is actually read, and there's a prayer, and there's a video from someone presenting it, and it's just really has spoken to me, so I would really encourage you to look at that. Pick a Bible plan to look at during these next 40 or so days, less now, and just really figure out, how am I going to utilize the tools that I have to be able to come closer to Christ during this Lenten season? Well, this is a great place to start. 
There is everything there that you might need uh, to be able to do that. So I encourage you to join me in doing those things. So during this Lent from the cross, for each week, we're going to be hearing Jesus' cries that reflect the depth of God's love and desire for all humanity. He is fully living out and even dying with the words that he taught in places earlier like Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. But love your enemies. Do good. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And after all he had endured from the betrayal by his best friends, which we're going to experience again, to the cruel beatings and the mockery from the soldiers, and now the prolonged agony and torture of the crucifixion, even in the depth of his physical pain, Jesus doesn't curse those who mistreated him. I mean, if you or I were on the cross, put there by our friends, or even by those we call enemies, what do you think that you would do? No, instead, he does what we saw him do when we talked about the first good words on Ash Wednesday. And I really encourage you to go back and look at that sermon and get that piece of that and just watch that part of it so you can get all the seven words. That's how you have to fit them in. There's only six weeks in Lent. He begins to pray. And he prays this. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Wow. What a prayer. Could you pray that prayer? He is really living out what he has taught. But when I think about this prayer, I wonder something. And as I did the research, people asked the same question over and over again. And the question is, who are they? Who are they? I mean, is it the soldiers that nailed him to the cross and who were just doing their job? Surely you can forgive people for just following orders. Was it the crowd that was gathered at the trial and now there's some here at his execution? I mean, the crowd was given a choice, yet they still demanded his death. But did they really... Or, or were they the part of a mob mentality that stirred up by the chief priests and his cronies? Was it to forgive Herod who treated Jesus with nothing but contempt and made a mockery of him and sending him back to Pilate? Was it Pilate himself who convictions crumbled under the weight of peer and public pressure? He knew what he was doing was wrong, but he wasn't strong enough to stand against them. But he tried. Certainly the religious leaders of the Sanhedrin, who didn't have a clue he was the Messiah, that they had just killed him. What about Judas who betrayed him? His best friend. Peter who denied him not once, but three times. 
even when he encountered him face to face, eye to eye? The answer is, who are they? All the above. The answer is yes. Yes to all the above. But there's one more group or one more person that he is talking to. Do you know who it is? It's us. He's talking about us. Pogo, the cartoon, says, I have seen the enemy and they are us. How do we do that, you ask? I love Jesus. I'm, not, I'm a follower. I'm not a fan. We help crucify Jesus, though, every time we get caught up in a crowd mentality that says or condones things that go against what we profess we believe and say we are going to practice as one of Jesus' followers. We crucify Him when, like Pilate, we fail to stand up for what we know is right and we rationalize why it is okay to do the wrong. We crucify Jesus little by little, nail by nail, when we fail to regard and see how our words and deeds harm others intentionally or unintentionally, like I am the King of doing. When we're putting our own interests above theirs. When we don't grasp the depth of the ways in which we break the hearts of those that we love. I mean, if we're going to be honest with ourselves and truly take on these 40 days, less now, as serious and in-depth look at our relationship with Jesus, we need to recognize our own everyday betrayals of Jesus and own them. He's already told us what that looks like by reminding us that the way we treat or fail to treat the least of those among us is how we have treated Him. Matthew twenty-five forty on the screen in front of you. And He calls us to see the divine image in everyone that we meet. Friend or foe, the least, the last, the lost, the found. So when our, we've been brutal with our words, or we give that backhanded comment that injured someone's spirit, I've not only injured them, I have driven the nails deeper into him. Again and again. When our word goes on unkept, I am like Peter. And I have denied Jesus. When I get carried away on the tide of anger and hate and frustration toward those with whom I disagree. When we demonize the other side, any side, we become the crowd yelling, crucify Him, crucify Him. So in reality, we are all crucifiers of Jesus in some way in our own way. And that is the cold, honest, hard truth that stares us in the face as we fall down at His feet and we look up at the cross to Jesus hanging there for us. I don't like it. You don't like it. I don't want to hear it. 
and you don't want to hear it. But there it is. So what does Jesus want me and you to hear as one of his nailers? With a hammer in our hand. You see, it boggles my mind that in the midst of being treated so unfairly, and with such violence and cruelty that Jesus, being tortured, would offer a prayer asking for grace for those who are killing him. And it wasn't like Jesus waited until after the resurrection when he was all dazzly and shiny again to be the better man and God. And he doesn't wait for those gathered at the cross as his killers to finally wake up and turn back from what they are doing. He asks his father to forgive the, these killers even as he's being killed by them slowly. I mean, let's take in the full scope of what's going on here in these 12 good words. Because he, he inserts forgiveness into the worst act that anyone could ever do or has ever done. Kill the Son of God. And not only forgiveness when you're filling the blanks, but He intercedes. He intercedes on their behalf with His Father. Don't hold this against Him. They do not know what they are doing. So in essence, Jesus is opening the door wide for repentance. And the Greek word for repent literally just means to turn around. Say turn around here and at home. Make sure you're still with me. Turn around. Don't literally turn around, but just, just, just get that. Turn around. Just turn around. Go in a different direction. If you're going to go outside in the snowy streets and you come up to a street that has a bunch of stuff on it, are you going to just drive up it blindly and just say, you know what, I think I can make it? Or are you probably going to turn around? Like, I'm not going on Hunt's Lane until I see that it's like got a knot dropping nothing on it before I go down that road. I have been on that road before and there's only one place to go when you fall down. Right in the ditch. Just turn around. Go a different direction. Turn around see what I have done for you on the cross, Jesus says. Jesus says to them, I don't want you defined by the worst thing you've ever done. And Jesus says that to us too. You are not defined by the worst thing you have ever done. Amen? You're not defined by the worst thing that you've ever done. Simon, who had become Peter, heard that lesson loud and clear by the lake shore. He could never forgive himself for denying Jesus three times. And yet, Jesus had already forgiven him. Not only that, but he came to him to help him turn around and follow Jesus fully. And see what happened there? And because of that impossible debt being forgiven in his life, Peter was able to understand the power of forgiveness with someone whose debt was smaller. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is, To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. 
Let me say that again. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So how do we find forgiveness? By learning to say two little words more than we ever wanted to. Does anybody know what those little two words are? Here in the sanctuary or at home blurted out. What are the little two words we need to say more than we ever want to say them? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They are, for some of us, including myself, honestly the hardest words to say. Why are they the hardest? In pride, maybe. Maybe we, we think we are right about something. Think. Maybe we are right about something and we don't see the need to use them. Maybe we are too ashamed to admit we were wrong or did something wrong even unintentionally. But learning to say I'm sorry is an important part of what it means to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus. It brings healing in our relationships with our friends and our family, but it also changes us inside as well, making us more humble and aware of our faults and our failings. Because even though we may think that we are right, we are often wrong. When our words or our actions bring harm to someone else, it's important to acknowledge them and to ask for forgiveness. Whether we're right or we're wrong. And not just to say, I'm sorry, but also to turn around, see? Go in a different direction. Make sure we're learning from what caused someone else harm in the first place because you can't really keep saying sorry for doing the same things. It really lacks meaning. We need to turn our harmful behaviors into loving ones. It's literally what the wayward son does when realizing what he had become sitting there in the pigsty, contemplating eating the slop the pigs are eating. And remember, pigs are unclean to Jews in the first place. And then finally deciding to turn his life around and go home to his father. And when he returned to his father, he had written this whole speech of the horrible things he had done as he left and how he would beg for mercy. And what happened? The father ran out to meet him because he was always looking for him in the first place to come home and simply embrace him with all the love he could muster, no questions asked. Maybe you've been in that place too. And you've sought forgiveness from those you have hurt and from God. It's a big step in the 12-step program, righting your wrongs. And you've turned your life around. And yet you still worry, how can God forgive me when I can't even forgive myself? And you worry that you haven't done enough to make up for the harm and hurt you've inflicted on the others around you. And you ask, how can I be assured that God has forgiven 
me? Well, the question that we really need to be asking is not about whether we can find forgiveness or not. But the more important question is this. When we find forgiveness, will we accept it and then live our lives out marked by it with love and mercy and grace for all those around us? That, my friends, is the part of the work of Lent. It's not a season to let us go by because we're just too busy or I've already got too many things going. It's an important time for us to stop and reflect and even add that one more thing to our spiritual disciplines that we don't ordinarily do. Our small group is not enough. Our current Bible study, like I'm reading the chronological Bible throughout the year, that's not enough. I need to be able to, and you need to be able to find something that is different and denies something or brings in something into your life that you're not currently doing in your place. It is great to be doing all of those things, watching worship, being in a small group, doing your individual Bible study and your prayer life, but Lent is something that is different on top of that. The devotional that you have in front of you, another devotional, choose something for 40 days you're going to do or not do. That's important. And we see this work of forgiveness also in the communion liturgy when we take it because we offer our prayers of confession and then in some way the assurance of pardon comes back with grace. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. But why does Jesus pray for the Father to intercede while many other times in the Bible He forgives their sins directly? Well, there seems to be a couple of reasons. First, what Jesus is saying on the cross fulfills some of the Scriptures about the Messiah. We're going to see that like we saw it on Ash Wednesday. In Isaiah 53.12, it tells us that the suffering servant will bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So I think that Jesus is setting an example here for all of us as followers then and now. And His words would have meant so much to those listening to them then and the early Christians reading them again and again. Because see, the question always comes up is, in our lives, how much and who to forgive? Who am I supposed to forgive? And how many times am I supposed to forgive them? Peter asked it in Matthew 18, 21, Lord, if another member of the church, now listen, another member of the church, not the outside crazy world, the inside crazy world, another member of the church, one of your friends, sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Seems appropriate. Seven times, Mark, Debbie? Seven times. Yeah, seven. That's more than three. Three strikes, you're out. Seven. Come on. That was being very gracious. The normal max of what was expected under law, three. Three strikes and you're out. 
Right? Works for baseball. Why does it work for life? And Jesus surprises him with the answer. He says, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. In other words, your forgiveness is beyond counting and keeping score. And he's telling them, and for disciples, it is not optional. For disciples, it's not optional. The same holds true for us today if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. If that's the path that we're on. I hope it is for you. But if it's the path that you're on, the expectation is to forgive those who have wronged us again and again. And there's a rub in that. It doesn't just mean in the small things that we unintentionally do. Oh, I forgive you for making that mistake. It is a call to radical forgiveness when you're filling the blanks. Radical forgiveness that forgives those who hurt us grievously. That the hurt will never completely go away. To forgive those who even betray or abandon us or scourge us with their words or those that we love. That is the toughest stuff that we'll ever have to do. And some of you are probably saying, how can I ever do that? How can I ever do that when they've hurt me so bad? That seems impossible to take to the cross. One of my favorite heroes is Corrington Boom. Anybody know Corrington Boom? The Hiding Place. Great book if you haven't read it at home. Do some extra reading. She and her family are part of the resistance movement during World War II. And they harbored Jews in their Dutch home. And finally they were caught. She and her sister Betsy were sent to a Ravensbrück concentration camp where Betsy died. Or more likely was murdered. Corey was released on a clerical error just ten days before all the other women of her age were murdered. In 1947, she traveled from Holland to a church in Germany. She spoke all around the world to offer words of comfort and forgiveness. She said to the crowd, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest part of the ocean forever. As folks were leaving the church gathering, she spotted one of the former guards from Ravensbrook who had actually had a hand in killing her sister. But he didn't recognize her. And he extended his hand and said, How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Her blood ran cold as he said, I was a guard at Ravensbrook, but since that time I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. And he stuck out his hand again and asked, Will you forgive me? Now imagine if that was you. He really doesn't know what he's asking. And yet Corey recalled in her writings that request involved the hardest thing she had ever done. She did not feel forgiving in that moment. But she knew this, that forgiveness is not an emotion. It is an action. The imposition of the will, she called it. 
So she prayed silently to Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. You supply the feeling. And though it was forced, as she reached out her hand to the guard's hand, and as they touched, she said something remarkable happened to her. A healing warmth went down her arm and raced into her hand and flooded her entire being, bringing her to tears. And she said, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And Corey said she had never experienced God's love so intensely as she did in that moment. There are times when even though we know we are called to forgive, we struggle with it, especially if it is someone who has caused great harm in our lives. But sometimes, our most painful experiences can bring healing to others and ourselves. She also said, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free only to find out that the prisoner was me. And Corinthian Boom said she witnessed firsthand that those who were able to forgive went on to rebuild their lives. And those who could not let go of their bitterness became emotionally dead inside. So the question is still how? We sometimes wonder if we can ever forgive the person who has harmed us, especially if they haven't turned around from their actions. And in that case, maybe it's too much of a struggle to forgive them. So instead of saying, I forgive you directly to them, Jesus also gives us the option through this prayer of praying for our tormentors. Luke 6.28, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who abuse you. Now, I'm not saying in any way whatsoever to stay in an abusive relationship. No one should do that. Sometimes in the midst of struggle and pain, the best we can do is pray for those who have harmed us, not forgive them. So during this season of Lent, when we are practicing self-sacrifice in our journey with Jesus on the cross, I am inviting you to practice the difficult discipline of forgiveness. First, to think of someone you need to forgive. And to place that person in your heart and in your mind. And if forgiving is difficult for you, Try praying for that person. And pray for the ability to act in a way that is forgiving. I don't know about you, but I have found it hard to stay angry with someone when you're praying for them. And it probably doesn't come as a surprise that you and I probably aren't going to be as good at it as Jesus. And we might have to pray and offer forgiveness for what feels like 77 times to get it right. And if you feel guilt or shame about your past, if you haven't asked for forgiveness or accepted it, and you aren't living a life because of Jesus' forgiveness, and if you struggle to extend forgiveness to some, just remember our Savior who canceled our extraordinary, astronomical, unpaid debt on that cross for each one of us. 
and the words that he had to say, Father, forgive them. To close, one writer wrote, Remember that Jesus opened the door to a redeemed world for all of us, where reconciliation prevails over vengeance, where love prevails over hate, and mercy is inseparable from justice. And Jesus gave it all to us with the simple words, Father, forgive them. Say that with me both here and at home. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Amen. So I invite us to pray a psalm for a clean heart in these moments as we prepare ourselves. For a clean heart. Psalm 51, 1-17 Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan. So I invite you into this time of ashes. I invite you to begin your journey to Easter with the sign of ashes. This ancient sign speaks of the frailty and uncertainty of human life. It calls us to heartfelt repentance, urges us to place our hope in God alone, and identifies our commitment to the journey. Let us pray together. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. May these ashes be for us a sign of our mortality and penitence and a reminder that only by your gracious gift we are given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, everybody both here and at home said, Amen. So as we remember being human through receiving these ashes, I invite all who desire to take this journey into Lent to prepare at home right now. For some of you, you're able to get your Lent bag or it was delivered to you. You had a cup of ash mix ready to go. Maybe you already used it on Ash Wednesday. That's fine too. You cannot do it. You can do it. It's up to you. You can apply them by simply putting your thumb or finger in the mix and making the sign of the cross on your forehead or the hand, if you feel better with that, at the appropriate time. 
Or look at your little bag that's burlap with the charcoal cross on the outside of it, whatever works for you. The ashes are placed on our forehead in the sign of a cross, a reminder that for from dust you were made and the dust you will return. And then you can place that Ash Wednesday cross you receive with the prayer in back of it somewhere that you can be able to look at that. If you weren't able to get your Lent bag, that's okay too. You can use olive oil or vegetable oil. Do the same thing. The ashes themselves are not required even sacramentally for the center of this service. The important part is the visible sign of repentance and acknowledgement of our human frailties as we seek to grow closer to Christ and our cross over these next 40 days. So I invite you to whatever you have, your ashes or whatever it might be, uh, oil, whatever it might be, to have those. And we're going to pray over these ashes and these oil, and this oil now. Almighty God, you've created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes or oil may be for us a sign of our mortality and penitence, so that we may remember that only by your gracious gift are we given everlasting life. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew right and wholesome spirits within us. Restore us to the joy of your salvation, for it is in you that we place our hope through Jesus Christ our Lord. And everybody, both here and at home, said, Amen. So I invite you now in your homes and everywhere to receive this mark of forgiveness and discipleship. Enter the journey which will lead you to your healing and hope. And let us make the sign of the cross on our foreheads or the back of our hands with our ashes or oil. As we are doing that, let's hear these words together. Remember, from dust you came, and to dust you shall return. So go ahead, place that.
God makes beautiful things out of the dust. God makes beautiful things out of us. Remember whose you are during this time. And so, Father, forgive us. We really didn't know the depths of which we had fallen. And we are just coming to realize the depths of the love you have for us and have always had. Cancel our debt of sin to you, we pray. Not because we deserve it, but out of your great mercy revealed by the cross. May we accept your forgiveness and let us go out into the world and live our lives out marked by love and mercy and grace for all those around us. And everybody both here and at home said, Amen. Be a beautiful thing, my friends, because you are.